Welcome to this week's episode of Meet the Brave with me, your host, Monty Draper. Welcome back to everyone. I know it's been a long hiatus, but we are proud to be back. Ton of new music, ton of new episodes, and most importantly, a new show where I'll be joined by two co-hosts, Juan Poe and LG, and we'll discuss everything in pop culture and news and try to provide a fresh perspective, a fresh take, if you will, um, an unbiased one, and a thoughtful one at that. So, later today, Monday, July 30th, you'll be able to hear episode one, and first thing Tuesday morning, you'll be able to hear episode two, which we recorded live from the Bahamas, where we took a family trip for Juan Poe's birthday. It was lovely. It was healing. Got to do a lot of recharging, a lot of relaxing. But now we're back. So, do yourself a favor, listen to this episode as scheduled, and tune back in later for the first installment of me being joined by both Poe and LG, where we discuss everything in pop culture and news and try to add a fresh perspective. For now, let's start the show. Yes, 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 yes. We are back. Not, and I know that's how I used to start every episode, but no, we're really, really back. And it's such an honor. And I want to say thank you to everyone for being so patient, man. I was trying to figure out a lot. But if I'm being 100% honest, I um, was actually going through a lot to uh, potentially be able to share it at a later time when I'm when I'm actually through it. I don't I'm not certain I'm through it. So which is why I'm not sharing it. I know we talked about doing a lot of learning and growing in real time, but I'm not sure I'm actually through it and quite understand um it to its fullest. So please forgive me for the discretion and not sharing in real time as we said we would do on the show, but um something you don't have to and that's uh, maybe that is something that we can talk about. It's like you don't have to always um sort of give everything you know some things are meant for you to just sort of process on your own or work through or with your trusted circle and so that's just technically where I'm at right now I think um on the other side of it but still working through it but I'm glad to be back um I think in the process I realized how therapeutic this was and how much it meant to my psyche and that was I was just an honor to be back I want to start this episode off in particular um, with extending a lot of love and gratitude to the entire Wilson family. Um, uh, beautiful young lady, um, was, was, was murdered in the Bay area, um, last week. And it, and it, it, it hit really hard. Um, and not only was she murdered, but her sister had to, had to, had to watch her I had to watch her sister take her last breath all the while um all the while suffering her own her own uh wounds and attempt on her life and while we keep Nia's name alive uh i i i am i'm asking everyone 
to please keep the entire family lifted up, but keep Latifah lifted up too. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure any of us can fully grasp the, uh, the, the sort of mental warfare that young lady will endure in just trying to put her life back together. Um, and I've, and I've, and I thought about it so much and I can't stop thinking about her and what that must feel like. I don't understand it. I, I, I don't, and I don't, I don't even want to pretend to be able to know what she's feeling right now. I just want her to know that she has our love and support. And as we do everything to keep Nia's name alive, uh, Latifah is alive and has a, has a very long haul ahead of her to, to put her life back together. Um, and, and as, and, not to not to just move along so fast, but I did want to start the show like that and just acknowledging those young, those beautiful, strong young women, um, and and to let them know that they're 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 men on behalf of their men. We we stand with them. We and we in in support of them, um, and 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 vow and aim to do so much better. Uh, most importantly. Um, as I said, as you heard in the intro, unveiling a new show and really proud of that. I'll be joined by my cousins, Poe and LG. They're hilarious. A lot of people that listen to this all listen to this show know me. Some some fans don't. And that is 100 percent OK. Um, but what you if for those that don't know me, will get to know is that my immediate circle is is family. Uh, my cousins. My blood cousins so happen to be some of my best friends in the world. And our conversations, and I feel like a lot of people's conversations cover and span a lot, especially with gentlemen that is, that is smart. If you, if you have the luxury of being surrounded by people as smart and, and thoughtful as the ones that I do, um, and also just really versatile in terms of what piques their interest, they tend to cover a lot. You know, our, so our conversations tend to cover a whole heck of a lot. And I've, I'm, I'm, I'm consistently impressed and, and amazed. And I learn so much whenever I sit with them because there's things that I'm not aware of uh, that they're able to bring to my attention. Um, and there's things that I'm able to discuss with them and get a real honest, unfiltered perspective um, that isn't that's hardly ever in line with mine, which is probably the mo- most refreshing thing is that we don't always share the same perspectives. And I think that's really um beneficial to relationships where you're where you're you're pushed and so i had that the initial idea for meet the brave was to do that show i don't think they were in a space or fully understood the concept of what i was trying to concept and they had a lot going on at the time but now they're both in really great spaces and so we've started doing that show so later today today's monday this is being released released monday july 30th later today You'll get episode one. We recorded episode one as like a pilot to see how we felt about it. We we listened to it and we took notes. And we were actually really, really happy with what we discussed on episode one. Um, as a disclaimer, um, the language is a little more loose, a lot more vulgar, because it's it's me in a setting with two people who I'm extremely familiar and comfortable with. Um, so it's, it's it's a world apart from, from this, uh, this, how this part of meet the brave will be ran 
And so just uh, wanted to put that disclaimer there. I also put that disclaimer in the description for people who are going from meet the, this part of me to brave to that one. And like, wait a minute, what just happened? Um, and feel free to write in, man. Like, again, the, the rules apply to that, where it's learning in real time, uh, not ashamed of anything and and open to discussing a lot of it, you know, because it's unfiltered. It's 100 percent unfiltered and it's how we talk. So I'm excited to share that with you all. Uh, but back to what this was all birthed on is me sitting down with my favorite people, people that inspired me. And when I sat down to do my wish list for this show, my guest today was literally number one. Um, Martina Abrahams Lawanga, um, co-founder of the You Had Me at Black podcast. And I am a You Had Me at Black alumni. I had the privilege of doing the season three finale, which is a storytelling based podcast where they have you share a story that really means a lot to you. And you went and you learned a lot about yourself in the process. Um, And I had I was on the episode. My my particular episode was Bubba's was Bubba's playlist. uh, where I told a story about my grandfather. And we did that live from the Elena Museum in West Oakland. And I met so many incredible people there that night that I still work with to this day. Um, But just the way Martina organized, produced, facilitated, um, and was just the life and and shook hands and over the guest list, the way she delegated, everything about the way she carried herself that night was ultra-inspiring and led to so much for me. And I don't... Thinking back on the episode, I wanted to publicly thank her when I was sitting with her, and I'm not sure that I did. So, Martina, because I didn't do it during our episode, I wanted to start the episode off by saying thank you so much for what you do for all of us, um, myself included. Um, I met DJ Flo. I met Miles in the process, and 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 I and I believe that's part of your intentions with the community that you're creating and just putting a lot of the right people in a lot of the right spaces at the right time to elevate and to grow and evolve. And you did that for me. And I know so many others that you've done that for you and your team, uh, cause you, you would be the first to, to go, nah, it's a group effort. So I wanted to say thank you. And on behalf of everyone, we're extremely proud of you and we look forward to everything you and the whole, you have me at black, team is going to accomplish so without further ado here's my conversation with martina abrahams Lawunga, live from oakland california No, I was. That was gonna be. Hold on, make, let me make sure because I want to get that. that. That was gonna be my question. Like, have you have you fully committed to the the new name now? So, in theory, <laughs> I am fully committed. You are in theory. Well, in theory, in this sense, like I like on you have me a black. I say I'm Martina Abraham Zalunga, mm-hmm. and all my social media has my my new last name, but I haven't done it legally because <laughs> that's just a lot of money. It's and a, a lot, lot of work. And a lot of work, and okay. I just got a new passport last year. So now, so I'm yeah. like, nah. it might be ten years, babe, before I'm legally. <laughs> but before, okay, my my guest today is one of my favorite people in the world, Martina Abrahams 
Alunga. Alunga, there we go. Um, <laughs> and we'll get into our story, how we connected, but talk, please talk about the big business of marriage, bro. Like, it just sounds so expensive. Oh, the wedding just, was fly. Everything was fly. Everything it's a scam. Was fly. <laughs> it's a scam because they know that it's like high stakes and they know that this is supposed to be your big day. Mm-hmm. So everything has like an extra price tag on it. DJs. Like I have a friend who's a DJ uh-huh. and he's like, oh yeah, for weddings, I always charge an extra like $300 <laughs> just because I know I can. Because I can. Because yeah. I can. Yeah. yeah. And people are like, they don't want to have to worry about it. So Absolutely. they're just like, okay, All fine. Right. Yeah. Right. And then photographers, like photography packages. Oh my gosh. That's the ultimate hustle. That it's the old time. I'm hustle. thinking about taking a photography class just for weddings. But like. there are so our wedding <laughs> photographer took seven thousand photos, so it's a lot of work. So she had to edit seven thousand photos, and then we had to choose two hundred to get into our album from seven thousand. That's nuts. Yeah, so I get that. But a DJ, <laughs> it's like you're, de- it's just, you're DJing four hours. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I like. So when I started the show. Miles and Chris were like, yo, do your wish list of guests. Guess who was number one? I was on your wish list. You Why were, did you take no, so long to ask me? Because you were busy. <laughs> and I'm like, like all like all the people that were on the top of my list were mad busy. And I was like, damn, I, I want to ask. But I came in like a week. You did? No, it was a super fast turnaround. <laughs> so it, it has nothing to do with you. It's all me, you know. But uh, you were n- literally number one on my list. And be- you, be- you were because um, watching you run the show... You have me for people that don't know. Martina is the the creator, the runner. What what would you call your 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 label with you have me at black? I struggle with that, but I usually say co-creator because I created with my sister. Okay, so co-creator. Co- so the co-creator of the awesome podcast you have me at black, and Thank I you. had the privilege of being on the season finale of season two. Season three. Season three. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a live show at Elena Museum in Oakland, and it was life-changing. And we're going to eventually talk about the backstory of, like, my POV of that show. Uh-huh. I, well, I feel like we'll bond over it or you'll roast me one of the two, but <laughs> I really want to share it with you because it's, it's interesting. Um, but that night and watching that many people of color, like, run a successful event was probably the most inspiring shit I've ever experienced. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, it, the, but it wasn't, you know, like the the optics and everything, like the 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 management, the pre production, the post production, everything that went into it, like that was amazing. But there was a level of fearlessness that was floating around that was more impressive than anything. Oh wow! And with with expression and with creativity, um, this bass player from this band said it. He's like, it's it's pretentious, like just straight up. It's yeah. pretend you have an idea you want to share with people, and to think that people give a damn about your idea is like pretentious. So get past that and still get your idea out. And how you were moving, and like you believing in yourself was like hell inspiring. Oh wow! Because you don't you. see people, people of color, but then women operating with that much like bravado and like that is like so power. funny that shit was awesome <laughs> that is so funny because it's like it's a constant pep for myself yes, like i'm constantly yeah, yeah. having to pep myself up yeah, yeah. and like he's con my, my husband is sitting <laughs> right next to me is always like hyping me up because i don't think i i don't naturally have that yeah, so it's yeah. that's interesting that that's like what you saw and it was it was moving and it but it now but now hearing you say it like yo that's not a it's not a constant for me it's not a nat, it's not my natural habit it makes sense 
but it's, it makes it even more impressive that you can get in that space knowing that's what's needed, you know? Yeah. Um, I think also the energy in the room carries me. That was crazy. Like, just black people together looking beautiful <laughs> smelling good like that's enough to make me feel like i can take over the world you yeah. know and to have and i'm always really honored by the fact that people are willing to share their stories and be vulnerable on our show absolutely and so i i feel like those moments are just really magical yeah. and they kind of like i ride that way for a while <laughs> oh man so Ta- well take me back because i want to i want to eventually arrive at how you got how you and your sister arrived at developing the concept for the show but let's let's go back because that's what we do we go all the way back and work our way up to present day yeah um where where are your where are your folks originally from so my mom is haitian Mm -hmm. and my dad is black american his his grand his parents are from alabama okay but my parents actually grew up across the street from each other wow in rockland county new york spring valley (laughs) Um, their addresses were one Charlotte Place and two Charlotte Place. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> My mom was like, I used to watch your dad ride his bike with no hands <laughs> down the, around the corner. I thought that he real was so love. cool. That right, that like teenage love. So they went to the same high school. So they've known each other since they were teenagers. Mm. Um, and then they got married pretty young in like their early to mid 20s. Mm-hmm. And, that, and they were like the first of their friends to get married. And then a few years later, they had me. Wow. And so you're, you're a New Yorker. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. New Jersey, in Jersey, yeah. what part of Jersey? Somerset County. It's an hour between New York and Philly. Okay, it's like suburbs. Is it really is bland? It, so so Jer- <laughs> Jersey's confusing to me because it's probably the most country place I've ever experienced. Why is that? It's a giant suburb, but it has like has like mountains, uh-huh. and then it has farms, and then it has like marshland. Jersey's, it, it just all, but it's all just the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So my cousins, because they all lived in New York, they'd come and they're like, why y'all live in the boonies? <laughs> and like, we were the, con- the cousins that lived in the boonies. The country cousins, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're, you're, um, what was it in terms of just demo and breakdown? What was like, like... Not uh, black at all. Not, okay. Yeah, so my high school had, our graduating class had like 600 kids mm-hmm. and 10 of us were black. You're kidding me. Yeah, but there were a lot of other people of color. There were a lot of... Um, Indian people. Okay, I was gonna say yeah, um, yeah. East Asian people. Mm-hmm. Um, a good amount of Latinos, and yeah, we had a couple like Brazilian kids. Like I felt like I grew up with a very diverse community, mm-hmm. both racially, even though there weren't a lot of Black people. But outside of that, I felt it was very diverse mm-hmm. and class wise. Yeah, yeah. So. What and go go back, go back for me. Is that is that something that you were able to identify early? Is like pre-k and and okay yeah i remember my i guess what age do you learn that you're black you're like young right everybody's it's different for everyone it's it's wild different for everyone i think i was three when you figured it out that you were different or that you were black specifically black specifically but i never felt different or not proud to be black at Mm -hmm. that age i just remember being at a pool party and, like, the day before my mom, I had asked my mom, like, how come her skin is light and ours is dark? And she's uh-huh. like, she's white, you're black. And I was like, bet. So I remember <laughs> I'm at the pool, and there's a little group of white girls, and I'm like, you're white, I'm black. Uh-huh. And they were playing with the flowers, and we kept playing with the flowers. And that, I didn't remember that moment, and wow. being, and that's, like, when I knew, but it didn't, it was a fact of life. Uh-huh. It didn't mean good or bad or otherwise. Mm. Um, I wasn't, I didn't really pay much, I don't. Blackness was never portrayed to me as bad growing up, mm-hmm. but I did start to know when I was different when I started like 
being becoming a cheerleader and being involved in sports yeah. and going away and like what what was it specifically about that because I, I, I i've few friends that echo the similar thing and it was similar for me too when you start traveling outside of your bubble the world has is like dead ass set on reminding you that you are yeah. less than or whatever it has you know and i yeah was it similar for you yeah it's yeah it was because some, my mom is haitian so she's super strict so yeah. i wasn't allowed to spend the night at anybody's house yeah so like you know you're bed- you allowed to have guests though no, because her thing was if they sleep over here, that means you're going to have, like, how do I let them sleep over here, but you can't sleep over there? Gotcha. Gotcha. So the, I was only allowed to sleep over for birthdays mm-hmm. and, like, big team sleepovers. Yeah. But if I would go to cheer camp, <laughs> <laughs> where is this going? <laughs> it's just funny because they're like, you know, the movie Bring It On. Yeah, like yep, one yep, day yep. at cheer camp. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had a relaxer, so I'd wrap my hair at night. I wouldn't mm. wash my hair every day like they would. Yeah. Um, I would use like mad cocoa butter, <laughs> but just the fact that my mom was strict, I didn't wrap my hair, I didn't wash, I wrap my hair, I wore a scarf to bed, yeah. I, I felt like I even brushed my tongue differently. Like I, we brushed, we, we clean differently, you know. And I felt wow, like, differently, so differently than the others. You and know? so even like all those things were just like, oh wow, like. Why? Why do you wear? Why? Do, how come your hair's not wet? You didn't wash your hair today. I'm like, yeah. no, I didn't wash my hair. And they're like, you're dirty. You know, your hair is dirty. And like little things like that. We were just like, oh, okay. So, so I used to be a little insecure about that. Like I wasn't confident in explaining. Well, my hair, black hair, you can't wash it because yeah. it'll get dry and it'll break. Yeah. Even though I knew that, yeah. I just didn't feel. Not articulate. Put, yeah. Who puts those words together that young? You exactly. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, and little things like also you know Haitians are a little. When it comes to like complexion, like my my whole family is dark skinned, but you know, don't get a tan, don't go in the sun. And so I'd come home from camp and like hella black. And my mom is like, You got so black, like don't go in the sun. Little things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that kinda like sit in the back of your mind. Yeah. But it was nothing super blatant. Yeah. What yeah. was the um what was the your your connection to Haiti growing up? Did you did you guys go back and visit most? Did family come? I'm going for the first time next month. So my mom's first time back since 1994, and my dad's never been, and my siblings have never been. He's Callie's coming too, my mm-hmm. husband. Um, most of my mom's, all of my mom's first cousins are in the states. Gotcha. So my grandparents, her mom's mom, and all her siblings are he, all came he? to the states, and oh. they most of them all had their kids here. So they started. So there wasn't this. a big push to go. Family was here. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think there's a different. Um, they came in the 60s. Got it. And so they kind of, my that part of my family grew up during a time where it wasn't cool to be different. Haitian, yeah. Or Haitian, yeah, especially. Would, I, I'm sorry, not that. Mm-hmm. Can you, have, has your mother shared that part of the Haitian-American experience where it wasn't fly at all to say you're Haitian? Oh, yeah. She has a little bit. Okay. She has a little bit. Um, and it's funny because it, the conversation started one day I was at, a job years ago and I met this woman and her last name was Jean-Louis mm-hmm. and I'm like you're Haitian so yeah. I was like <laughs> immediately right so I'm like where are you from and she's like Brooklyn I was like yeah nah, I, I nah, get that but where are you from right. where, 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 where are you from from she's like I grew up in Brooklyn I'm like where's your family from <laughs> she's like Brooklyn and I'm like 
why? Like, what's your last name? Sanitation? And she yeah. goes, oh, yeah, my family's Haitian. That's what I was That's what I was getting at. <laughs> and so I was, like, so irked with her. And I go home, like, mommy, how come she didn't claim it? And she was, like, how old was she? And she was, like, in her mid-30s. She's like, yeah. And she mom is, like, area. yeah. And she goes, it wasn't cool. And so I realized that later that I have a lot of cousins, older cousins especially. That won't. Who, like, they don't. The name that people call them in the street is not the name that we call them in the house. So, right. like, you know, just Americanizing names, letting people mispronounce their last name mm-hmm. um not speaking creole and stuff like that so it's it's but stuff that i've noticed now as i'm older and yeah. i am and also just my mom like she's very haitian i think culturally yeah. but like she didn't we didn't grow up eating haitian food from her like i've only huh. eaten haitian food by my grandmother and other aunts i've never eaten my mom's haitian food wow she's never cooked it just at, just as a as a method of like it's, my dad's american got you so so she was like oh i learned to cook what your dad liked got it got and it, got haitian it. food does take a long time to cook mm. and my mom had to she had a tough childhood she had to like you know cook and clean a lot as a kid and take yeah. care of her family so she was just like american food is faster to cook your dad you know that's what he's what he wants absolutely um so she was it was never her thing and she never taught us to speak creole because she's like I teach you how to speak English and I didn't need to teach you how to speak two languages. Mm. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I, I think that's one of my most, um, what I find fascinating about the black American experience is about like the different dynamics. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about Southern rooted blackness versus, you know, Caribbean hate, hate like Haitian black experience yeah. and then merging those two worlds there are subtle nuances that are worlds apart. Yes, there are. And I'm realizing them now. Got it. Okay. And I feel okay. like I grew up in this, um, I think I grew up in a space where I was, I wanted to be both, more of both. Yeah. Because more of both. So both sides of my family thought I would like, would be like, oh, you're white. You act white. You talk mm-hmm. white. Yeah. Um, and all my friends in school were like, oh, Martina's an Oreo. Wow. So I, my whole like teenage years was always striving to be more, uh, more Black American because that's more what I saw. Yeah. Now I'm more intentionally trying to learn more about my Haitian roots. Absolutely. And be I guess more Haitian. Yeah. But um, yeah, I always felt like I wasn't enough. But because from either from either side. From either side, because yeah. I don't speak Creole. I had never been. And mm-hmm. to me, that was like the big, that was a big differentiator in our family. Like yeah. everyone else speaks it, even if they're trying not to try to downplay it Absolutely. in the streets, you know? Um, and it's funny because everyone in my family has a nickname, but my siblings and I don't. Mm. And I thought it was because we were only half Haitian. And I found out because my mom was like, don't give my kids nicknames. Yo, everyone always gives nicknames. And we name our kids something for a reason. Like, call them by the real name. <laughs> mom's, is, mom's is putting it down. Like, no. <laughs> From, like, day one. So I was like, oh, I didn't have a nickname. I thought the family just didn't like me as much. <laughs> she was like, no, Martina, you're stupid. Because <laughs> you, you hit on something that's really important. Um as far as the black American experience goes. Um, and it, I feel like it's for different reasons, depending on, uh, you, depending on the, your, your upbringing or your, in your surroundings. And for me speaking proper, my, my, my grandmother was a, was a teacher and we just went to Arkansas for family reunion and her mother was, a, was the, the teacher of the town, mm-hmm. you know? And so country or not, not speaking 
correct grammar was just not not going to fly. Mm -hmm. And so as a product of that, we spoke properly, Mm -hmm. whatever that meant, Mm -hmm. you know. And growing up, I remember getting the same, like, yo, you talk, why you talk like that? Mm -hmm. And I think the annoying part wasn't getting it from the like my cousins and like other black kids it was getting it from white kids that shit didn't <laughs> it didn't make sense to me it's like, like how are you gonna tell me that how are you gonna tell me that? <laughs> yeah um do because jersey is such a um i don't know i don't even know how to pinpoint it it's like, i know some fascinating people from jersey that are completely different it's, like, a, it's a it's a unique place you talk about <laughs> spectrums yes jersey covers everything yeah and that's one thing i do appreciate about okay. growing up there i felt like i saw so i met so many different kinds of people in my high school so many different types of personalities yeah. ethnic backgrounds again like socioeconomic backgrounds and what people's parents do and you know how they live um so that's something that I do appreciate yeah. about my upbringing and like being in public school and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, so we're at let's 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 let's, let's set the scene. Grammar so, school, middle school. Yes, I was like a twi- little twiggy nerdy black girl. What what were your interests at that point? What my interests? Um, so what age are we talking? I let's go let's go let's go into grammar school in the middle school. Into high sixth school. Grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, that, that range. I feel like that's pretty important. Yeah, so my interests in eighth grade were cheerleading. Mm-hmm. At that point, I was 100% cheerleading. Yeah. It was eat, sleep, cheer, repeat. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't think of anything else. I was like overwhelmed by the idea of college one day because I was like, after high school, like life falls off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom would be like, you're crazy. So I wasn't really thinking much about my future. And it was my dad who was really trying to get me to start thinking about, like, what are some of your interests so we can start, like, tapping into them for school and stuff. So he would make me do these little, like, personality tests and these interest tests. Pops was doing that. My dad was. was. What what did he do? Um, He always worked in finance and he was an accountant. Okay. But his thing was college is going to be four years. Yeah. And he goes, when you go into school not knowing what you want to do, you end up spending more time trying to figure it out. So his thing was like, you know, he was just like, you need to go in knowing what you want to major in. So that, so that was like his preparing me in high school was you need to know what you want your major to be like your first day of college. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So doing those things, I actually realized that I like was always interested in psychology and people Mm. and culture and how um, your mind influences that and and just how cultures change and languages change. And then I, in high school, I took a marketing class. Wow. In high school. In high school. Yeah. And I was, like, fascinated. Mm. And I felt like marketing is where I was able to actually, few, you know, bring in that psych and that sociology element. Mm. And my dad had always worked in business, so he was kind of drilling, like, business at me. So yeah. I was like, all right, this is the, the fun part of business. This is the people part of business. Because yeah. I wasn't into, like, finance and math and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, started, I kind of started to, to shape. But I also... There was a part of me that was very much interested in, like, stories and journalism, um, but I never really explored it at that time, which is funny because I think about that now and, like, what I do now. You're like... (laughs) And I'm like, why didn't I go down that path? Mm -hmm. But it was, I think, a lot of just influence from my dad and just what I saw him do, Mm -hmm. and I was just kind of following him. Well, it's... You... I mean, 
you providing that does add some sort of insight to your style and how how you sort of carved out a lane for what you and your sister are doing. Um, I don't know. I feel like the people that land at particular careers in a non-conventional way are able to offer a lot more depth than people that are just like one track minded and, and that's what they were always going to do. Yeah. You know, so you've gone and done all these different things that have allowed you to accumulate so many other, you know, just life traits mm-hmm. to insert into journalism and give some new life. And I think that's what moves genres along is yeah. people coming in with just like these non-conventional ways of like nah let's shake the shit up yeah you know and- I, I, would, I would agree okay yeah i would agree <laughs> with you there i would because i'm actually almost now very like anti-journalism got you because i want this to be a little bit more like raw mm-hmm. um and i feel like if it's too trained then you you lose that and we we uh this is we're gonna we'll get back but uh <laughs> having a a real in-depth discussion about um the good music and the kanye experiment with the seven track albums Mm -hmm. he 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 set this goal for himself to do 52 songs Mm -hmm. in in so many weeks and and rightfully so people are pissed um because they feel like they're not they're rushed or whatever. They, like, I haven't listened to anything Kanye has put out this got, year. Got it. So got I it. can't comment on that. Well, <laughs> but I want. But you, you know, you 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 hit on something. Um, just wanting to to do things completely different and mm-hmm. and move things along and make it more raw. And my defense of the process, not the music per se, but the process, is. I think the kids have figured out something really special where they're putting out unmixed and unmastered music. And Mm -hmm. if it's good, it's just good. And the people run with it. And that whole crew is going, well, let's just not think about it so much and see whatever, let's just see what sticks. And a part of me truly, truly admires that because they're the cutoff from the really big album budgets, yeah. the really big video budgets. They're the last they're the last breed of like, yo, you get 2 million for this video, what are you going to do? Right. To then have that switch flipped and kids be shooting videos for 300 bucks that go viral. Yeah. But that's how like disruption haps- happens. Exactly. It's always like who can do it faster and cheaper. Exactly. And so if people are eating up the content and it's like raw unfinished whatever. What are we talking hey. about? What are we talking about? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, so we're at we, you know, cheerleading, and then what's the? You said the breakthrough is that is that class you took, and yeah, then that, and then how does that propel you into college, or does it? I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I was like, ooh, I'm gonna study marketing, and I was like, I'm gonna be the CMO of Pepsi one day, and I wanted to be the CMO of Pepsi because I was Pepsi in Jersey. No, what's it? What Pepsi is? There's a bunch of like big factories in like that Jersey Pittsburgh area. Yeah, right? New Jersey has Johnson and Johnson. That's the big. It has where's Verizon. Her, where's Hershey at? Is that in Pennsylvania? Okay, okay. But it is like far. It is far. Yeah. From where I grew up. Got you. Okay. A couple, you know, a few hours drive. Um, but I knew. Well, yeah, I was like, I liked Pepsi because at the time, like, they were putting all the commercials with Beyonce yeah. and Britney Spears, <laughs> and I was reading things about how you know they had different strategies in different parts of the world, and I was like, that'd be so cool. I wanted to travel and see the world, and yeah. I've always been attracted to culture. Yeah. And I saw Pepsi as a 
a company that was shaping culture and like tapping into it and driving it and yeah. I wanted to, that's what I wanted but I didn't know how to articulate that at the time gotcha. I just thinking back that's what I wanted so um, I was very focused like applying to college like I'm gonna study marketing being you know go to business schools yeah. and so I ended up going to Georgetown and majoring in marketing Damn, man. what was the what was the draw to Georgetown so I wanted a place that was not too close to home, but not crazy far. Got it. So it's like a four or five hour drive. Yeah. I wanted a team where I could cheer and I could cheer there. Yeah. And they had a good basketball team yep. and, you know, good academic school. I had family in the D.C. area, so yeah. it was cool. When I went to visit, it was beautiful. Like my, my criteria at that age was like, <laughs> I was like oh, they got a cheer team. And they had marketing major. Okay, cool. I want to go there. <laughs> I hope you weren't like me because I swear up until – Sophomore year of college, Georgetown was HBC to me. Yeah, that is so <laughs> funny because people, you know, you're not the only one. I, I felt not. so bad when I found out. I was like, wait. And it's so funny because <laughs> everyone does that. And in our heads, we're HBCU. We want to be yeah. the, the black students yeah. there. And but Howard always lets us know. They're like, y'all ain't y'all black. not black. Exactly. Y'all ain't black. I know Everyone's Howard. Howard black. and what? What's over there? Uh, Hampton and Mor- is Morgan right there too? Yes. In the area at least? Not like, I mean, Morgan's in Baltimore. So okay. not that okay. far. And okay. Hampton's deeper in Virginia. So we didn't really overlap with but, them. But Howard was going to let y'all know for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, Georgetown was the first, and I wanted a school, another important thing. I wanted a school. I wasn't necessarily, I didn't need to go to HBCU, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a school that had a decent black community because I didn't have yeah. that in high school. Yep. And I was just like, I know I need black people. Yeah. And so um, that's why I chose Georgetown. And I would say that's really where I came into my, I, I became more of an activist was it the university that that created that, or was it the city and everything you were around, or a combination? Combination of, the two? of both. Okay. Like, I wasn't. I went into college being like, I, I know I'm going to this political school. I hate mm. politics. I'm not going to get into that. And you can't help but get wrapped up into it. Yeah. Barack Obama gets elected president. You're a sophomore in college. Like hell yeah, you're into politics now. You know what I mean? So, but I think what defined my time at Georgetown is. Um, Get it when I, you know, the Gina Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there was that, a ton of documentaries, and I read up. I was at school. I was in Ashland, Oregon, when I found out about Gina Six. Like yeah. that changed my life. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that happened as I was coming into school, mm-hmm. and so there are some things that happened where this um, black student wrote this really long write up on what happened and from from your from, from Georgetown and submitted it to our school paper, mm-hmm. and the paper uh, instead of publishing the whole thing. Gave her a little itty bitty column. You're kidding me. Yeah, and so like that kind of set off this thing. And I guess you know from past years, this black students feeling like their voices weren't repre- represented. Being in the suppressed newspaper. on campus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was just a lot of protests and rallies about it, and that was my first like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is what we doing. This is what we doing. I'm in it. I'm about it. I'm about it. You know. <laughs> and um, just over time, different things would happen. Like there was our, I mean, our campus police, our all school campus police, mad racist. Mm-hmm. So always targeting black students for bullshit yeah. and breaking up parties for no reason. Um, that was the first time I had seen like rich white people. Yeah. And they are a totally different breed oh, than like middle class white people. Absolutely. And so I had white friends growing up, but I didn't I don't have many or any white friends from Georgetown. Yeah. Because they are just like cold. Yeah. You know, and, and the and you see the like, oh well no, I can't I'll be cool with you if I see you at the bar, but you're not going to be in my group for school. Absolutely. And like needing other people to validate. And so 
very quickly I learned like, oh, my safe place is with the black community. Yeah. And that's where I, I think I, that's just like what got me through school. Yeah. BSA parties, making sure all my friends and I took the same classes together so we could be in the same groups together. Yeah. Um, and I think my experience at Georgia, like I don't have any white friends. Only some, I cheered, so some of the cheerleaders were my friends. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, all my friends from school were black. What was, I mean, with all that going on outside of cheerleading, internally, what were you experiencing while having to travel and you're making, you know, you're going to the games, you're, sp- you're sharing space with these people. I imagine internally there's a, there's a, there's, there was a real in-depth conversation happening or am I off? Like, um, it was like cheerleading was separate from that, but we had enough black cheerleaders where it oh, was okay. still like, okay, okay. I wasn't the only one. Got you. You know, like our, our team was about like a quarter black, gotcha. which was more than the only, which is why I was in high school. <laughs> and our coach was black, too. OK, that, so I'm, that's, that's that probably helped too. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Our coach was black. Um, so the, the cheer team was a pretty safe space. Like there were people who I also like politically the word we weren't as divisive then. Like we didn't talk as much about what's going on. And, you know, it was like yeah, everyone's yeah. happy Barack Obama's president. Like, yeah, and that's it. Um so I felt like I didn't really have many encounters with the cheer team. Mm-hmm. If we tried to party together after a game, that's when we'd have the issues. Because yeah. you go to a house party all together, and the house you enter might have a Confederate flag. And so all the black cheers are like, goodbye, see y'all later. Yeah. And like, you know, no one addresses it. You just keep moving. You go to practice the next day, and I see you. And we don't that's, talk about it. Yeah. Um, but I think Georgetown is where my eyes really opened to... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I've, it's funny because I was so naive. Like I, that's where my eyes opened. Like, oh wow, the world is still fucked up. Yeah, talk about it. And I feel like you, everyone at some point realizes that. But yeah. for whatever reason, even when looking back on things that I experienced growing up in New Jersey, mm-hmm. I realize a lot of those things. My parents never blamed it on race. They yeah. always they would handle they would squash it really quickly. Yeah. And but I would internalize it as like something wrong with me. Yeah, absolutely. So if a kid was mean to me at school or calling me names, my parents were never like, oh, they're probably just racist. Because yeah. there's no reason why a kid, a random kid would be teasing you. Yeah. Only a black kid. Um, so I just thought like, oh, I'm weird or I'm different or I'm annoying. Um, and it wasn't until now I'm like, oh, you were a normal kid. <laughs> you were just with some racist ass white people. <laughs> exactly. You were, the, you were the only one. The only one. Of course, yeah. I'm going to pick on you. Um, and so now it's something that I, I, I'm... I'm unlearning, I guess, about rewiring, rewiring how I navigate and how I see myself amongst whiteness. Absolutely. Um, But in college, it was when I was my eyes were really becoming open to like injustice and this day to day treatment of black Americans Mm -hmm. on campus by professors, by campus police. So when I was there, a group of students ran this survey to uh, understand like the student of color experience on campus in different areas in mm. academics and student life um and social life and all that came back was yeah students of color are less satisfied and so you know they have this proposal of like these are things that we think could make it better yeah. things you could do for social with the social clubs yeah uh you can institute a diversity requirement in the curriculum where everyone has to take they can choose it from a number of options but yeah. they have to take some type of like african-american or asian studies class or something and the backlash was crazy. And I get it from students. Oh. You know, fine. Because I already knew kids are kids. Yeah. But from professors. Professors, yeah. And that's what crushed me. And I was like, 
damn. Like, this world is sick. This world, like adults, <laughs> the adults that of this institution and Georgetown's thing is like men and women for others. We're a Jesuit university. We're yeah. all about um, community service. Yeah. You realize you realize how empty that shit really is. It's so fucking empty. Yeah. And that really, really got me. Like yeah. I was down. I was just like, I, what? Yeah. Like you know <laughs> what I mean? Because what what got me to Georgetown is I remember on my student tour. They were talking about all these things they're doing for diversity and how much they care about it. So, I, I mean, realize, I drank the Kool-Aid. You realize how bullshit it is. It's such bullshit. Yeah. And, you know, and I realize it's the same at every PWI. 100%. They, it, it, it's because it's, I went through something similar where I got to school and I was like, yo, I'm going to enter the law, the law enforcement. And I'm going to be able to make a change. Yeah. And I went, wait, this is like a Fortune 500 company. There's no, no way, way they're going to let me infiltrate this and change anything. I was like, why would they? And it, I've never been so crushed in my life. Like, cause I genuinely, my brother, my, our stepbrother at the time mm-hmm. was serving a sentence and I was like, I'm gonna change this, you know? And mm-hmm. we started looking at the numbers. I was like, oh, this is just business to them. Like, this is, yes. it's just business. And I had never experienced overt racism mm-hmm. ever. Cause in the Bay, it's all covert, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you think, oh, it's really diverse. The liberals here, so their allies, like all the shit. And then I get to to the whitest place in America. I still believe Ashland, Oregon, is the whitest place in the world. Um, and you experience over racism for the first time. And then you go back home, and you sort of compare and contrast the energy. You're like, wait, this is the same energy that they had there. They're just open with their shit, and you're hiding it. I respect them way more yeah. than I do you because you're pretending to be an right. ally. You right. know and that's one thing that gets me about the bay. We yeah. can talk about that later. <laughs> no, let's, that's how <laughs> how sick is that? The, the 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 liberals that are crawling, that are scaling the walls right now, that are here, that are pretending to be our allies, mm-hmm. and are actually doing way more harm than the people that are letting us know what time it really is. That yeah. keep that same energy no matter what no time matter of day. What. Like yo, I don't fuck with y'all. Like, yeah. I can I can build with this person. This person that's pretending to be with me, I what can I do? Yeah, it'll you drive know? you crazy if you actually stop, if you let it. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It'll drive you crazy if you let it. Yeah. But remember at school, we had, um, the newspaper, again, uh, had an April Fool's Day uh, paper. And they would always do edition where, like, all the articles were just jokes. But this one year, they had this mad insensitive jokes mm-hmm. against the LGBTQ community, against the black community, against the women. The paper? School paper. Wow. Just really insensitive. And mm-hmm. so everyone's like, oh, this is, this is actually <laughs> really messed up. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, we're going to protest. So we stage a sit-in in the newspaper office. Uh-huh. And it's like all the black kids, all the Latina kids. And we, all we do is we go into the office, we sit down, we grab the paper, and we, pretend, we just pretend to read it. And we're just sitting around the office, not talking, nothing. Of course, they call campus police. Campus police comes. Campus police are all black. They come in there pointing out, like, this is one girl. And they're like... Isn't that so-and-so, so-and-so, and from this room? I know y'all, you and your, we're always over there because you and your roommate can't, are always fighting and just, like, pulling their dirt. And out in front of everybody. Out in front of everybody, making fun of us, mocking us, like, why y'all mad? They wrote about y'all. Campus police. Campus police, black people. And that was when, that was, like, the mo- my, I guess, the moment where I was, like, oh, the world's so fucked up. I can't take this. I remember calling my mom, like, so angry. And yeah. she was so, like, yeah. And I was like, you didn't tell me. <laughs> but wait, that phone call to parents when you're like, yo, why you didn't tell me the world was, was fucked, fucked up? up. And it's like, I've been waiting for this moment. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, she was just you like, could have warned me. Right. And she was like, well, 
And she's like, what was I supposed to tell you? I'm like, that the world is crazy. That white people are crazy. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't want you to grow up hating anyone. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> but also that's kind of when I started to have this like, tension because also you know being in business school yeah that's different that's a different that's a whole different beast and all they want is like money yes you know and i'm just like but that's all and you know you're taking ethics classes and you're seeing how everyone's just like well the most important thing is the money yeah and so that's where i started to have this like conflict of interest about like capitalism and business even though i'm still working in business um but that's kind of where I started to shape a lot of, I think, the Martina that you know today mm-hmm. was really formed. And then. Then, in, in college. But I, and that, I think that's another thing that truly bothers me is the conflict that exists for people of color, yeah, but black people in particular. The balance of, like, true ethics and getting to the bag. Like yeah. that shit really bothers me because there's so many people with great ideas that when it comes to discussing the business, it's like a fish out of water. And it's like, whoa, they're way too cutthroat in here. And mm-hmm. if and if even if just for a little bit, if you could adapt, if we could adapt their mindset, we'd advance so, so much. And, and, and I, I think I struggle with that personally because it's something that I individually struggle with. It's like, mm-hmm. yo, my personal ethics won't allow me to be not consider everyone else no matter what color you are right it's like yo i'm thinking about everyone else at every given moment but then i've been in meetings where it's like yo fuck all that this is what the numbers say right yeah it's it's funny because you say you think about everyone i only think about black people (laughs) (laughs) like but even that even that's a even that i would consider progress because I've, 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 I have I recently have arrived at that, but I've been I've been working to get to that point where I'm thinking about our people and not feeling any way about it and right. not eventually going, ah, well, yeah. I guess I should include everyone else. You yeah. know? Like there's this there's this consistent pressure for us to not be um, to not exclude like we black. We're so forgiving of the most we're so egregious. Shit. Why? Like of everything, people I f- I think people go out of their of our, way to hurt us. You know, I I feel like that's part of our strength, though. You know, to be able to it is, to, no, it to is. be honest, it is, to it be is. able to show love. Like yeah, it is. You want, you're, like, tr- you're right. You're right. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. You're right. You're one hundred percent right. You know, I think it's part of our strength, but I do think that um, yeah, it does. It does hurt us all. It's hurt us all so many times, all the time. So yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah, but. Um, what um, and then so from college, mm-hmm. what what year what year were you? Twenty eleven. Wait, where does it? I'm eleven. What? Hey. That's what I'm talking about. Um, what was, what was the move? Post the move was New York City. From 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 DC to from DC to New York. So that's I mean, would you call that home or no? I call New York home now. Now you do. Yeah. Um. When I say, because my parents live in New York now too. Okay. So like while that was happening, they moved to Atlanta for a few years. Oh, moved, oh wow! They they've done. They've done, they've lived life okay. too. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so okay. they moved to Atlanta. My brother and sister graduated high school in Atlanta. Okay. Very different experience. And then they moved back to New York City. They moved to New York City right as I was moving to the Bay. Got it. So when I say I'm going home, I'm literally mean like to my mother and father's home. Yeah. Home, but also like 
Harlem has a very special place in my heart. Wow. That, and, um, and that's probably the place I felt the most home of all the places I've ever lived. Why, do you know why? Um, or could you speculate as to why or you have a, an idea as to why for you? So, yeah, so I, growing up in New Jersey, I'd always wanted to live in New York City. Mm-hmm. I was always very much attracted to, like, the bright lights, big city life. So I'd always, like, I'm going to work, when I get older, I'm going to work in New York. And yeah. so I knew from, like, a little kid age, like, I'm always trying to get to New York. And so when I got there, I felt so blessed really? to be able to just, like, survive in New York City. Like, to have a job, to have friends, to, thrive, to yeah. be able to just, like, hang out and just like experience that city like yeah. i've never felt that lucky when i was leaving i was i cried for that when i was moving out here because that was, I, a, mo- that was a moment yeah it was a moment because i was like i felt like my whole life i was like i want to live in new york <laughs> and like i'm here and i'm leaving um so that's that and then i lived in harlem and it wasn't lost on me just like the streets i was walking on you know what i mean like i you know you're walking down 125th street you see the apollo like I'm, that doesn't you know, you see Michael Jackson star, and I'm like, yeah. that's not lost on me. Yeah. And so I, and I feel similarly about Oakland. Like, yeah. you know, the history here, it's not lost on me. And so yeah. I find myself like being attracted to places where there's like a lot of history and just being proud to be able to like walk those streets. Yeah. I think, no, I think I, I, I'm curious to, to really build with people and find out what their, what their awareness of of what New York, but Harlem in particular, meant to the the Black American experience, um, and I say that because my freshman, one of my my freshman writing professor, made us do a civil rights project, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Yo, talk about some of the most influential cities of the civil rights movement," and people did Alabama, mm-hmm. and they did like the the the, the no brainers. And then here I walk in with Harlem. Right. And he's like, what? <laughs> and, but what I was explaining. That's, that's the militants of our rights. And that's what I was explaining to him was like, it precedes the civil rights movement. But I do feel in my heart of hearts, I felt like, especially doing the research at the time, I felt like Harlem played such a pivotal role in creating that militant mindset where it's like, yo, we understand what ownership is now. We understand what what uh, liberation is now, and we absolutely understand what it feels like to feel superior in a business sense. Mm-hmm. And, and so it established this sort of fearlessness that really did help generate some shit in the civil rights. And we had an awesome conversation about that shit. And he was like, "I thought you were crazy before, but I get you." Like we had yeah. a real moment. But um, it even like. I don't know what's the opposite of precede, postseed, <laughs> postseed, <laughs> like the civil rights movement that we think about in the South. Because I mean, Malcolm X, absolutely, was in Harlem. That was, his, that, was his, that, that was their like, stomping grounds. Absolutely, yes, yeah. Harlem was their stomping grounds. Yeah. James Baldwin, like yeah. all of them, you know. Yeah. So Maya Angelou was up in Harlem yeah. too. So it was like, uh, yeah, I feel like, but it's a different uh, narrative. It's a different story. But for you to say that none of that was lost on you really does help set um, the scene, if you will, for us rolling in the modern day for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think without context, without any of the backstory, like, yo, this you have me a black movement is like what, like, it's dope. What is it? But 
you know, you setting the scene from Georgetown and coming from coming from your scenario, your situation in Jersey, Georgetown, and then going to Harlem and then coming to Oakland and be, but being mindful of everything attached to those cities. Yeah. The with with expression and with with creatives, I think what I personally am attached to the most is the thoughtfulness, mm-hmm. um, and that's not that's not a given for everybody. At least I don't think so. Yeah. The thing that that I resonated with with you had me at black was how thoughtful it was, and I I tend to so to connect um, thoughtfulness and originality together. So you had me in black was like the most original shit I'd ever heard. And and so and so now we can get into the backstory of my Mm -hmm. whole experience. (laughs) When you called, we were in San Diego, my cousins and I were celebrating one of my cousins' birthday. Uh I remember this. You do. okay? I was sitting in my car by on Lakeshore. (laughs) So you you emailed like, hey, can we set up a set up a, a phone call this time? I tell my cousins, hey, I'm doing this phone call. Can y'all kind of relax? <laughs> yeah, remember that? I, I was like, have fun celebrating. <laughs> so they, in turn, they do the opposite. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to make him mad uncomfortable and make a ton of noise. I'm like, y'all, y'all killing me right now. But we, gotta, we, we, we bought a bunch of alcohol, a bunch of edibles. Don't judge me. Um, and we're, and we're, in a, we're in our mode and having a blast. And you, like, right at my peak, you call, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not in a space for this conversation right now and so i'm like pacing the hallway as we're talking that's so my, funny and my cousins are coming out just being silly but it was it, it was a real moment because i honestly up until the point that you called i don't think i knew what story i was gonna tell yeah but on the drive down i was telling them about finding my grandfather's uh recordings and they're like wait what grandpa sang yeah, they were freaking because I didn't know. Yeah, did you know Grandpa sang, Bubba? Yeah, exactly. No one knew he sang, so we're at his we're at his funeral, and these old ladies are like, "Ooh, Bubba show could sing." Like, what? Who even knew that was a yeah. thing? You know. Um, but all that happens, and you and I were corresponding. The amount of detail, the amount of work, and then the day of the event was just like really overwhelming again consumed and up not under my like i wouldn't have done it had i known what it was got an edible from somebody so i was really high at night (laughs) and like the room was just like vibrant and i was like oh (laughs) shit i was i was on that you know that cusp of like a panic attack you know what's funny because i feel like all the storytellers that night were high okay Oh, I'm not the but only not, one. But not in a bad way, just knowing all the storytellers yeah. and knowing, like, how they would respond in that type of situation where they're about to, like, bear their soul to a bunch oh of people. Oh, my God. I'm, I guarantee the two others will also But see, I'm, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm the opposite, though. I definitely didn't want to be high. I wanted to be clear mind, focused, right. sharp. And my cousin was like, oh, man, eat this. You'll be all right. That's so funny. It was definitely, like, 30 milligrams or something, and I was like... Oh no! So I'm not gonna be able to fight this, and it, it was like building as I was driving to the venue, and so by the time it was my turn to go, it was at its peak, and I was like, "Oh no, that this is so be bad. funny." Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was in in hindsight, it was like the best thing because I was able to feel that whole process and like be in the moment. That's cool. And it was, it was, it was dope, and I just didn't leave. I didn't let that leave. 
um, me in terms of experience, expression, yeah. um, production, presentation, yeah. like all these different elements that went into it. And I was just wild inspired. And yeah. so it was like to champion anything that you were attached to and that you were going to, that you set out to do is like, yo, it's going to be fire. So why not? Um, Thank you. I guess we should tell people like what happened at the event. Can 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 we really quick? Yeah. Can you mind? Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, so it's um, basically a, a live storytelling mm-hmm. jam. So we just have, we have four different people who are sharing stories. We have a packed room and the show that you were at was in a, a converted warehouse. Mm-hmm. Converted warehouse, like art space, and yeah, incubator museum. for people, yeah, museum. Yeah, yeah. called Elena Museum yeah. in Oakland. Shout out to Seven. Yep. Yes, he's a great friend of having <laughs> Um Yeah, and just imagine like 150 <laughs> black people just like all came out, you know. Cali like working security. Yeah, my husband. <laughs> Debo, like, hey, yeah, nah, you ain't on the list. <laughs> he's, he's always my security guy. And he's like, you need to get real security because <laughs> something happened, I'm not the one. I'm like, you're right, babe. But it's about 150 people just like silent and just like vibing and like zoned into these stories and we have like happy stories and we have more like serious stories and so it's always an interesting balance but it's i always find that the energy in the room to be come on to be really really magical (laughs) um and it's like it's just like electric like like the energy is like yeah Yeah. i i that was what was so cool to me because uh doing events doing shows you see a different uh, group dynamic in, in Oakland and the Bay and in general where, you know, the cool crowd comes out and they're not as into it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how you did it or, 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 did the, or did the environment sort of create that, but it was this, that what you talked about, this real focused group of people that absolutely wanted to be there wanted to be on some cool shit and wanted to have a great time. And it was, yeah. it was that, I think that's what moved me the most is like seeing that many people of color, um, be that supportive. Yeah. Um, and have such a great time and really, really, it felt like we were just talking about Harlem. It felt like some Harlem Renaissance shit to me. Yeah. Like literally, like for real, it felt like some Harlem Renaissance shit to me. And I was like, yo, this is fire. Yeah. I mean, and the cool kids got to slow down too. Say That's the thing. Say I feel again. like how many black slows people down. Oh yeah. You know, oh, like yeah. there are a lot of cool movements going on, but yeah. a lot of them are very like focused on entertainment and like yeah. partying. And I think we our alternative. The alternative is what we're bringing, which is like it slows you down. You have to stop and listen. Absolutely. And like you sit with your thoughts and with the thoughts that other people are bringing to y'all, you. And y'all made it. Y'all made that like that shit was fly. <laughs> it was Thank it you. was alcohol it was smoke like it was it was just it was just real it was just fly and i i for i don't know what the with the artsy shit you see it in new york you might see it in chicago you might even see it in atlanta mm-hmm. but i don't i don't think i had seen real high-end artsy shit associated with flyness in the bay until that night oh wow and, and my and my people may disagree but for me because I had done stuff like similar, um, not not in format, but just in terms of feeling. Mm-hmm. I had done stuff like that in New York. I had done mm-hmm. stuff like that in L.A., in Atlanta. Never had done anything like that in the Bay. Right. Where people were excited about it pr- prior to and at the end of it. It was a party after. Yeah. 
and it was dope. <laughs> and you know, to this day, Oakland is always our best our best shows. That's dope. In terms That's, of vibe, that means like a lot. we've been. That means a lot. We've been to f- four other cities, uh-huh. and none of can them say, have matched. Can you say? Yeah, what we've been, been to, to? Uh, D.C., mm-hmm. Houston, L.A., and Chicago. Okay. And none of them, they've been great shows, but none of them have matched the energy yeah. as Oakland. Like, Oakland, I don't know what it is, yeah. but it's special. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so special. But I feel like Oakland is a creative city. Like, I yeah. feel like it's a city that, like, you're, you're creative, like, it just brings you in. Yeah. And it's a city that wants to be a part of art and respects art yeah. and creates art. And so, not that those other cities don't, yeah. but I... I think Oakland is more communal about it. Like I've gotten so much, received so much love from the community here for you had me at black from day one, Yeah, you know? And so I, I, I don't, it's a very special place. Like I, I have to say the Oakland shows are like, cause I, I chase that high in every city and I get disappointed when I don't feel those vibes and I'm like, Oh, it wasn't as good as Oakland. <laughs> what, what, well, that's a perfect point to go. Like what, what birthed the idea? Like, what, what were you, like, was it, a, was it a night y'all just sitting around kicking it? Was it a night, like, how did that, it how was like, it born? It was like a three-year-long idea. Almost. Wow. So, it was, by this point, I had graduated, I'm working in New York, and I'm, like, the only thing I want to do in my life is do something that helps to elevate black people. Gotcha. And I had, you know, in whatever way, and mm-hmm. I had a lot of different ideas in mind, but having grown up in Jersey, having a Haitian mother. Yeah. And black American dad went to school in D.C. and just living in New York and meeting black people and realizing while there are obviously shared things and experiences, the way that you experience your blackness and perceive blackness There's varies. nuance, absolutely. There's yeah. definitely nuance yeah. based off of like where your family comes from, where you grew up. And those things really blew my mind because I told you in high school I was fighting to be more black. Absolutely. And because I didn't grow up around a lot of black people every day my perception of blackness was very much what i saw on tv and what i saw in my family which in some cases reflected what i saw on tv yeah and so it was like i was basically trying to be i was like la la (laughs) sometimes on um what's you know what's the movie atl yeah (laughs) like it was just like you know whatever you think is completely different but yeah but but not being a different person but it was more like whatever you the stereotypical quote-unquote just whatever's on BET. I'm that. I'm that. I can, that, I can morph. I can right, morph, like, yeah. but that was the only idea of blackness I saw. So it was like in terms of the, what I dressed, what I listened to, what I watched, how I spoke. I tried to adopt that, not realize, not realizing that black is not a monolith. And you know, you can be proud to be black and be black in however you are, just because you're born black, right? Yeah. And like that's own own that. So I just remember being a young adult and being like, wow, I'm mind blown. And if I you know, didn't know that. I'm sure mad other people didn't know either. Or, you know, regardless of how you express your blackness. Yeah. And so I wanted to, I was starting to think of like creating something that, you know, showcases that. And I had no idea how or what. And I was like 23 and New York is fast. And I'm like, I don't have money to do that. And I don't have time to do that. I'm trying to party. Like, <laughs> And I remember talking to a friend one day and she created an app that helps you find uh black owned businesses in your area mm. this is pre the black wall street app that's like yeah. just launched yeah. um and she goes girl what do you want to do with your life and i'm like i want to help black people she goes you had me at black and i was like hold that that will be something one day are you kidding me that's Dead where the ass. name comes from that's what yeah and she's like credited that's so dope yeah for that's it so her dope. name is janine house shout out to janine um but i was like okay we're gonna sit on that so like we 
bought the domain name. Yeah. We even started with the Instagram account. This is like 2013. Yeah. Um, and nothing really came of it. She tapped out. She had just got married and she was like, I'm good. Like, you can have the name. But, and I didn't know what to do. Like, no idea felt new or original enough. Yeah. It was yeah, kind yeah. of like, oh, that's, a, that's basically repeating something else somebody's already done. Yeah. So I just let it sit. And I ended up moving out here. What brought you out west? Uh, a, a new job. Okay. And I remember thinking like, okay, I'm going to Silicon Valley and it's place, you know, it's the, it's people create things out here. And so I was like, okay, I wanted, I wanted my neck at that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to leave without creating something. But I, I said that, but I didn't actually believe myself that I was going to do it. Yeah. It was more just like, I want to try my hand at that. It's kind of like what you said, that fearlessness. Like, I didn't have that fearlessness then. But um, about a year being to the Bay, I ended up meeting him in my <laughs> that first Callie. year. Cal- I'm pointing at my husband, Callie. <laughs> and he's, on- he's been an entrepreneur since he was, like, 17. He, he just told me off air that he just had his first job for seven months. I was like, nah. That yeah. ain't, yeah, <laughs> ain't going to fly. And so meeting him, I was like, wait a minute. You, can work- you worked for yourself since you were 17? Like, what? And he's like, yep. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, so this is doable. I didn't know that. I never met anyone who was like that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, I'm a year in the Bay, and I'm like, I don't know, I, I want to start something. And I felt like, you know, uh, talking police shootings had now everyone documenting. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you see it all in your face. And I'm kind of at this place where I'm like, I felt a need to have some form of expression and Absolutely. like build. Yeah. Like I felt restless. And so I was like, oh, I still have this thing you had me on black. Mm-hmm. Still don't know what I want to do with it. So I was like, you know what, babe? I don't know, but I'm just going to start do something. Yeah. So my husband it grew up in South Africa, um, moved to South Africa like the year after apartheid ended. Mm-hmm. And his mom's Ghanaian, his dad's Congolese. Wow. So his experience in blackness is also very unique and yeah, he you know absolutely. it's just a, there's a lot to discuss absolutely so we're walking around lake Merritt, and i'm asking him questions and he's like talking and i pull out my phone i'm recording a voice note just because i'm like this is some good shit like i'm just gonna record it and yeah. i was like ah, a podcast so that's how i was that's like how okay. i was born yeah so i was like i need to create a podcast Wow. and i was like all right i still have no idea what that meant yeah but i he in him talking he was talking he started to share some like the anecdote from his life and stuff like that and I was like oh I like the storytelling piece and I had been here have you heard of the moth I don't think so it's funny you have me a black as model after the moth okay um, but the moth is a storytelling podcast and they also do live events where okay. people just share stories about their lives mm-hmm. and I'd been to those events in San Francisco are, are, that's not the event that airs on uh, KPFA maybe they could I have no idea damn, damn. that's crazy okay we'll but ahead, it's sorry. super white yeah so I would go I'm like these stories are that good but they're still the KPFA version yeah, 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 yeah like the stories are cool but like it's just super white <laughs> so I'd be like Ugh. so I don't fully remember how exactly we arrived at our format but and I remember like asking some of my friend and just testing different concepts like would yeah. this be originally it was gonna be we bring somebody into a room and then they just share tell a story, a story. But we, or we give them like a prompt. Like, tell a story about a time when you were embarrassed. Yeah. And you have to think on the fly. Yeah. And I was like, that's not going to work. That's people gonna, are not. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. People are not that, like, well, you know, good and spontaneous. Yeah. Uh, so eventually, yeah, I just get, we get to, the, it gets to the point where I am, I forget, but I, I arrive at, I want it to be storytelling. Mm. 
and I want it just to be people just sharing stories. Wow. Like I don't want it to be an interview. I don't want it to be narrative like this American life where it's like, you know, the person speaking and then a narrator comes in Absolutely, and helps piece yeah. it together. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I just want it to be like a story hour. Yeah. Like, so one day and then blah, 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 it yeah. goes. And I remember this was in February of 2016. 2016. Okay. And I remember, so I have this idea and I'm excited about the same time. I'm scared shitless. Like it's one of those things where it's like, you can't pull this off. Who's gonna Who's gonna believe you? Like yeah. you're the you're the Oreo girl from New Jersey. Yeah. Number one, trying to talk about blackness. Number, yeah. You know, and yeah. just like you don't have any clout in the world. Like who's gonna listen to it? Man. And so I literally one day I was at my desk and I talked myself out of it. And he calls me because we were long distance at the time. Yeah. And he goes, "Babe, I was just thinking about you having a black. It's about to be so fire. Like it's the best idea." And it like he does. And he was just like going on and on. And I'm like. <laughs> And like that was literally as God, you, as, you would, as I had just talked myself quit. out of it, and that was God being like, "Ha!" Huh. And you, even, what you thought, yeah. Which, yeah. And so even to this day, I think about that whenever there are moments where I want to quit, or I'm like, "We're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. Like, we can't keep going." I'm like, I feel like that was the that was the sign I needed that like this is this is good. You need to keep doing this. Absolutely. So. Yeah, from there, I, I basically, I kind of told my sister she was going to be my producer. <laughs> She's younger than me. And she um, is a, a a playwright, a screenwriter. Can we plug sis right quick? Brittany. She is uh, an actress, a director, awesome. a producer. Like, she's just, when it comes to creating, bringing storytelling to life on a stage, on She gets on it. Screen, this is what she's meant to do, yeah. That's all she does. Absolutely. And so I'm like, oh, you can edit this. And I was just like, <laughs> she was like, what's a podcast? I was like, don't worry about it. It's like a radio show. <laughs> just edit this this tape. <laughs> and so she was like in from day one. And then I dared to tell two friends. Mm-hmm. And both of them were super like, oh, yeah, that I want to be involved. And so yeah. our first team was like four black women. That's crazy. One who used to be a reporter and taught me all about interviewing, asking questions, wow. how to how to edit and like, you know, streamline one who just loves podcasts and is good at marketing and like social media and me and Brittany. So all of season one and I, all of season two were produced by four black women, three in Oakland, California, and one in New York City. You had me in black. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm so glad I got to hear that. Because um, in my mind, I had... I'd created something similar, but not even as dope as that. So <laughs> I'm so glad I got to hear that. Um, can you can you share any future plans or even aspirations? Like where you where you picture it going? Yeah, I my vision for you had me at black is for it to be a like critical source of black storytelling, but as like a form of activism. So our mission is to reclaim the black narrative. And our mantra is those who tell stories rule the world. And really it was, you know, created because I wanted to have a platform for people to share their experiences of blackness. And today it's not even about that. Like today it's, you know, I'm tired of other people telling our stories. Absolutely. And they've always told our stories. And as a result, we don't know our history. Mm -hmm. We don't love ourselves. We don't love each other. Um. And our stories and our experiences, our lives are like supreme, like supremely validated. Mm-hmm. And you have me at black as a, as a space that's supposed to like, like just be that. Yeah. 
And so I want you had me a black to really be a place where it's like it's everywhere and there's ways for just people to just submit stories and like we just blast them out. That's amazing. It's like they hear the story and blast them out. And I think there's a lot of topics that aren't talked about. Mm-hmm. Like something that I'm personally really interested in right now is um, black woman like motherhood and childbirth and pregnancy and yeah. bl- like uh, birth mortality and things like Absolutely. that. Because those are stories that are kind of just now coming to the surface and there are so many out there. Yeah. Um, like black immigration, like black yeah. people are the most likely to become detained and deported. Absolutely. But we don't have, you know, black people don't have, black immigrants don't have that community that, that other that groups do. That community and that support, that coverage. Is that coverage, not, yeah, yeah. you know, and so it's either black Americans who are like anti-immigration laws and I was like, yo, that's hurting our brothers and sisters too. <laughs> like you think it's us versus them, you know, yeah. and not that it should be, you should, yeah. but and um and also as a child of an immigrant that's Absolutely. super close to me. Absolutely. Um and just in general like the idea of black innocence and black joy and black fragility. Yeah. Because we've had to be strong, it's almost worked against us too because like mm. because we're so strong, people think that we can't feel weakness. Absolutely. Or we can't feel pain rather. And so that also is just kind of but th- and we also don't release pain. You know, we don't allow ourselves to heal. And so I want to, exp- I want more stories that explore those things and like mm. encourage people to, to express their pain, to yeah. be joyful, to laugh, to be innocent. That it's okay to be weak and admit that like you can't do it all yeah, the time, you absolutely. know? So there's a lot that I want to uncover and unpack. But, um, so I guess immediate future is we're working on our fifth season. Wait, let's stop. Say that again, please. You're working on your fifth season? Yeah. When you were just sitting at your desk about to quit? Yeah. <laughs> season five on the way. That's This summer, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's essentially why, like I said, when I was doing my wish list for guests at the show, you were at the top because the vision, the dedication. And, Thank you. And just as, as someone who has aspirations to do great things myself, I've constantly been met with pushback and pitfalls and no's and all these things that literally justify you quitting and going, this is silly. Yeah. Um, but you not quitting for whatever your reasons were. I didn't, I didn't know that until now, but you not quitting and then going, Hey, we season five on the way. Like it's a big deal, you know? So, yeah. I mean, there's also been bouts of like, this is about to be a wrap. Like it's the end. <laughs> and this is it. This is it. Yeah. And then, but it's funny because you can't bring yourself to say that to the team. Yeah. Right. So when you realize like there's some small, I'm about to get a little spiritual, That's but funny. you know, the scripture is like, if you have faith of a mustard seed and like a mustard seed can literally become in the form of a text, yeah. you know, it can come in the form of an email. Yeah. It could, it could be the smallest little thing that somebody's interested or that you mm-hmm. influence somebody's life. And it doesn't be like, it's literally the littlest thing that it has a passing moment and a fleeting moment, but it's just like all you need to know that like, yo, it's still, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. You gotta yeah. keep doing it. Like it's so much bigger than you. Absolutely. So, well, thank you. Thank for, you for being on this the show. Really this, this meant, this meant the world. Um, I wanted a chance to, to acknowledge your, your influence in person and thank on you. the show. It just, it, it's a, it's a, 
the li- people that have been listening, which is crazy that I have like day one listeners for 17 episodes, yeah. is, is nuts. But I do. And they, you had me at episode Black. is a lot, though. Because yeah. you haven't been podcasting that long. No. And you had me at Black has been consistent in almost like every episode, like in terms of like reference. And, oh, wow. And yeah. And so people, are, people have written in and try to do this thing where it's like, I'm actually interacting and yeah. like, hey, talking about reoccurring themes that make it into monologues each week. And people are like, wait, what is that? You know, so oh, uh, being able to have thanks. you on the show and provide some context, it, it means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes. People can listen. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, well, plug so, it real. Plug it real quick. Yeah, plug the so show. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Spotify. Hey. That's really big. On um, Google Podcasts, <laughs> Google Play Music, Stitcher, all the SoundCloud, all the places. But really, the best way to support podcasts that you love is to leave a review. Yeah, 100% review, like, share. Yes. So, like, you know, leave those reviews because that's really, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you.